friends, welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It. You've got me, one of your co-hosts, Emily. Guess who else is with me today? Okay, that was Megan. Um, she's been on about five planes this week. After running 19.3 miles. And she's training. She's going to run a half marathon in two weeks for Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, no! Can you do the podcast? Can I go to bed? Yes, go to bed. I'll do the podcast by myself. <laughs> Welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, books edition covering Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings. My name is Megan, and I should be doing my storyboards. My name is Emily, and I should be working on my book. But... Instead... We're making a podcast. We're making a podcast. Uh, Emily, it's been a minute since we recorded. It really has. It has been... It has been exactly a minute because i had to the the fault lies with me this week i had a work deadline and so i said hey can we wait until i get this stuff turned in and emily says absolutely and now it's a saturday and we're recording and it's time it's time to do this thing this week we are covering three chapters we're covering 25 the butcher 26 stillness and 27 chasm duty which is one of my favorite scenes in this first book but first up emily overall impression of this week's reading i am loving each week's reading more and more and more to be honest um i feel like we're getting more and more to the meat of the story and Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i'm just getting really excited about figuring out more of the mystery um i know this sounds silly but Again, epic fantasy. I'm excited about finding out more of the mystery uh, without continually being introduced to new things. The things that we're introduced to are still cool, but they're coming like slower and slower. And so I'm able to Mm -hmm. focus more on the story and not so much like keeping the whole world in my head. (laughs) So uh, did anyone have a surprise wife this round? Yes. Not a wife. (laughs) Not a surprise wife. A surprise mom. So technically, Kaladin's dad has a surprise wife. Surprise wife, yeah. Um, yeah, so so this happened, I think, with Elokar's wife, too. Emily's just like, they, they never told me he was already married. Um, which, in a way, is a, a bonus in this book's favor because they don't have a lot of expositionary dialogue until these mystery spouses come up in normal conversation. Yeah, yeah. But I remember you you yelled when you're like, Kaladin has a mom? What was your what was your thoughts when you discovered that? Okay, because listen, a lot of times you're getting like Disney stories where like it's the poor orphan boy or like, you know, Terran Wanderer or Harry Potter, where the main character is put upon and beset upon by the world, and it's so sad because his parents are gone and it's 
in the past and there's nothing you can do about it. And so I was super surprised that Kaladin's mom was still alive at that point. I don't know if she currently is in future slash present Kaladin's point of view. I don't know how we want to phrase that, but past baby Kaladin, his mom is alive and a joy. Oh, she's alive. Other like quick impressions of positives or negatives for this chunk before we really dive into what happened previously. Oh, I have some thoughts, but they're going to have to wait till the last chapter. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Chapter 25, The Butcher, is a flashback chapter. Um, Emily, you want to tell us what happens? So this chapter happens, okay, according to present day Kaladin, happened seven years ago. And this is before he sent off to be a doctor in Calbronth and everything. He's hanging around the local town and he overhears people. He is 12 years old. Say again. Oh, he's 12 years old. 12 years old. Still a baby. Still fresh face, dewy eyed babby. And he overhears people talking about his family, especially his dad. And they are framed in such a way where basically the townspeople do not trust the the doctor right now. I don't know if they ever really did, but currently, because if we recall, the, oh, I don't know the actual term, the leader of the town, the like governor of the town. The city lord. The city lord died in some earlier chapters and... When Kaladin's dad came back, he's like, oh, he gifted all of these diamond spheres to us so that we could send you to be a surgeon. The townspeople aren't buying this because Kaladin's dad was the only one in the room when the overlord died. And they are just super suspicious about any of Kaladin's dad's... What's his name? I want to say it's Carlisle. I realize that's Twilight. What's this guy's name? (laughs) It's Liren. Liren. Where uh, did I get Carlisle? Well, it, you got it from Twilight. Okay, That's okay, the doctor grand, dad in Twilight. <laughs> um, and then the mom's name is Hasina. Okay. Okay. I will try and remember that, but there's that. Um, let's see. Oh, especially this woman. She's like, it ain't right what they do. The woman's voice said, you ain't supposed to cut into folks peering in to see what the almighty placed hidden for good reason. And so this we don't be- like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And the surgeon is mysterious, at least. <laughs> I, again, maybe I'm stretching. Maybe I'm just too excited about this. But we talked about how in their, this culture, you're not supposed to be able to tell the future. And I almost wonder if they feel that way of the doctoring because of this cultural feeling where Mm -hmm. if it's not readily apparent, don't mess with it. Like having to go inside someone and figure out what's wrong by like, you know, basically seeing beyond this mortal flesh or this veil. I I almost wonder if unconsciously Mm -hmm. they're they're drawing the same bias. Does that make sense? Is that just too off the mark? No, I think I think that's a good read on on how this is, and like maybe in a place like Karl Bronth or a place like uh, the capital city of Alethkar, these sort of attitudes are held a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's like out here, you only get a limited amount of education about things unrelated to your own personal trade. Like we've got a lot of craftsmen out here and farmers and like people that really specialize in I would say their lane. But, you know, 
they do live in a society and it's a uh not a fun society to be in actually no even so, though farmers yeah. are the number one best thing you could ever be in your life if you can't be a soldier so uh question for for you emily do you think the diamond spheres were a gift or do you think uh cal's dad is lying about the the city lord's final wishes okay i'm gonna this might go off into a tangent i'm gonna try and keep it on track in earlier chapters i 100 percent believed that they were a gift um, okay. Because everything that we saw from about Liren pointed to he's an honest man. He's a hardworking man. He cares very deeply about the people he works with, and he wouldn't lie about something like this. But later on, Kaladin asks his mom about it. Oh, uh, a conversation in which his mom says, "You're 13 now, Kaladin. My bad. Oh. I said 12 like three minutes ago. That's a lie. Cal's 13." He's a teenager now. He's a big kid. <laughs> Sorry, there's a part I can't find it, but like he talks about that especially, but his mom kind of dodges the question. Do you see this? Am I just blind? Oh, 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 okay. Um, Here it is. I'm sorry. Just give me five seconds and I'll figure it out. The others think father stole those spheres. Cal shoved his hands in his pockets. They think he wrote out that order from Bright Lord Wis- Wistio. And had the old man sign it when he didn't know what he was doing. And then it says his mother was silent. And up until this point, his mother has been a fountain of, not babbling, but she has been very vocal. And so I honestly don't know if she's being silent to let her son express his feelings um, to see what's really bothering him. Or if she doesn't mm-hmm. want to lie to her son. Because up until this point, like Cal still looks like he's on board to becoming a surgeon. But in his heart... Mm-hmm. He really doesn't want to. He's starting to want to become a soldier. And so I wonder if his mom is worried that if Cal thinks or knows that the spheres were stolen, if they were, he would refuse to go. Mm, that is, that is a thought. <laughs> so yeah, the townspeople are very leery. Um, I also found it interesting. She's very, she's a really cool mother figure. She's. Um, when she's talking to him, so Kaladin's complaining that the people, the townspeople were gossiping about, you know, their family member. And he says, Mm -hmm. they say that father enjoys slicing people open and doing things that ain't natural. And she corrects him and says, aren't natural. And the very first line of this book, the woman that Cal listens to uses the word ain't. And his mom makes very, makes it very apparent that he needs to set himself apart from everyone else. And she helps him understand that by saying, Kaladin says, why can't I speak like everyone else? Because it isn't proper. And he's like, well, it's proper for this person. And she says, well, what do you think of that person? Cal's just like, realizes that this other woman who is ignorant, she likes to gossip about things she doesn't know anything about. And his mom's like, well... If you really want to emulate her, I guess I can't stop you. Kind of helping him understand the reasoning why for doing things rather than just telling him, stop doing that. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting to see that even though Cal's family is dark-eyed, we've still got elements of classism here. You know, the, the way his mom, and it's painted as like kind of this soft scene between a mom and her son, but it's really like 
Cal's not a light eyes and he's never going to be accepted by the light eyes. But she's also like encouraging him to be like, oh, well, don't pay attention to the other people in the village because you're not like them either. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is serving to further isolate Cal and his family from the people in the village. These silly, superstitious people who would rather leave everything up to fate and everything up to prayers. And it's it's well-meaning, but I do think they're going about it the wrong way. And it's just driving the divide between Cal's family and the town they live in further and further. That is true. I like that angle. Especially, I mean, and you can see the resentment in the other kids, Cal's age earlier on, where, you know, basically he's like, I'll do anything to do what you do. And they're like, you don't do anything. You know, and we talked about it being the grass on the other side is greener, that sort of thing. And um, it's just interesting that that, um, Brandon Sanderson would kind of point this out. He does a very good job pointing out the differences, like you said, of the separating of classes without specifically stating I, I don't mm-hmm. think I would have liked his mom really at all if she'd been like, well, we're destined for better things and therefore you need to, you know, put these things aside. And, and she's not a wormwood like in Matilda, you know, where they're trying to be better yeah. than than quote unquote their station. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. There you go. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, I forgot to tell you in my notes. It says. I was really mad because I wrote, his mom is alive in all capitalizations. And then I was really mad. I'm like, Brandon Sanderson conveniently forgets to tell me when people are married. (laughs) I'm really mad about that. After the conversation with his mom at the tail end of it, Kaladin's like, it's lies, it's gossip. I hate everyone for making things up. And she says, oh, uh, don't hate them, Cal. They're good people. In this case, they're just repeating what they've heard. And she looks up towards the city lord's house, the city lord's manor. Oh. Um, and Cal is, uh, Cal has picked up who the person spreading the lies about his family probably is. The head steward of Bright Lord Wistio, um, who was married to the nurse who'd been taking care of Laurel. Oh. And... Yeah. So this this these rumors of the theft didn't just like spring up from townspeople. It's quite possible that people from the household of the city lord's manor have been deliberately spreading these messages. <laughs> Back to these messages. Uh, and my theory would be probably because they might have stood to benefit from some of this money uh, in the original version of the Bright Lord's Will. Oh, that makes me that so sad. Listen, huh, how do I put this gently and succinctly? Some of the best outrageous stories I've ever heard come from Reddit and what people are trying to, when they're trying to figure out how to handle family and money, especially when there's a death in the family. Like, mm-hmm, money mm-hmm. can make people crazy for good reason. I mean, you know, we need it. It's a needed thing. It's a mm-hmm. how our society functions but it always just like it makes my heart hurt if someone were to choose money over a family member or money over you know does that make sense am i making sense or am i just babbling yeah no it it does it does make sense gives me a very aristocat feeling about this dude oh my gosh i was gonna say aristocats i i was literally gonna talk about edgar from the aristocats because of this because we're connected (laughs) 
we're connected. <laughs> this is why we're we're good at podcasting together. Yeah, this is us. Do you want to talk about uh, Edgar, or do you think we covered that? <laughs> no, no. It's just uh, that was that was a funny similarity that we both had. The butler did it. <laughs> um, Cal. Cal finds out that his mom was hoping he and Laurel would get married. Laurel? Oh yes, Laurel? yes, that Laurel? was a, that was a, what I wrote marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us. And and Kaladin thinks it's a is blah, Kaladin thinks it over. He's not like hugely excited or super disappointed because you know he's he's thirteen and he's like oh that's so far in the future I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new city lord arrives, interrupting all of these thoughts. Wait, can we go back just a little bit to the Mowage part? The city lord will arrive after these messages. <laughs> I just wanted to point out um, just some more world building where he thinks it over about if he and uh, Laurel got married, that if any of his kids were light eyes, they would outrank him. And so I found that yeah. interesting that the title is not going to come with marriage. He would still be treated i guess as a second class citizen or just be treated lower even if he were married into this powerful family he would probably move up to the highest dawn Mm -hmm. d-a-h-n which which are the the class levels for dark eyes um currently his family is in a higher dawn than everyone else in the in the team because of cal's father who has uh worked to to get them promoted up here uh, so Kaladin probably would be, if he married Laurel, would move up to a much higher class. But the highest Don is still below the lowest ranked Non or the lowest ranked Light Eyes. Got it. The only way to move from Don to Non, we have heard rumored about in this book. And Emily, what's the what's the only way to move up? To kill a Light Eyes and take their shard plate and shard sword. Yeah. But wait, I got I got a question. Um, okay. His mom tells him, you know that we're second non. Yes. I thought you just said that oh. they couldn't be. Oh, no. I have to rewind all of that. Uh, we'll okay. cut that Listen, out. Just... We'll cut the first part out. You say it again. I can't remember all of it. Everyone, I messed up. I'm just owning it right here. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, yeah. Dawn is for dark eyes and non is for not dark. Okay, my bad. <laughs> I'll just remember, dons are for Dalinar and nons are for not light eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, Kaladin's family is of the second non. Mm-hmm. That's oh, um, really quick. The whole family gets together to welcome the new, um, the new you know bright lord Rashone. and his dad is talking about uh let's see the dad's kind of nervous because he's like we really don't know what we're getting um and the mom teases him Hesina teases him he always gets pessimistic at times like this i do not Liren said she gave him a look name one other time meeting my parents <laughs> Cal realizes he's never met his mother's parents. They weren't often spoken of. Is his mom... I mean, okay, I'm realizing this now, but my note was, is his mom a dark eyes? She would have to be, right? 
She has to be. Yes. Okay. She okay. is. I was about to go off on a tangent about like, well, blah, 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 blah. What if her mom's parents are really, really powerful? And yeah, I got to I gotta rein that in. <laughs> Calm yourself, Iago. <laughs> so we've got palindrome watch. We've got chicken watch. And now we have I'm in an institute grandparent watch. Okay. Executive order. Family tree. From me. Okay. Add it. Add it to the list. (laughs) Kaladin's dad mentions a game. Probably a a gambling game like poker. He says, I'm throwing a handful of stones. Uh, I hate getting a new landed. Always makes me feel like I'm throwing a handful of stones into a game of breakneck. Will we throw the queen or the tower? And... I have zero context for this, except for, oh, hey, this is obviously a thing about gambling, and one of these outcomes is good, and one of these outcomes is bad. I don't know which is which. The new Bright Lord doesn't seem real happy to be here. He, uh, uh, Fashion Watch, uh, he is a middle-aged man with a short, gray-streaked beard. He wore a ruffled violet coat, tailored so it was short in the front, but long at the back. Beneath it, he wore a golden Takama, a long straight skirt that went down to his calves. A Takama. Few wore them anymore, but old soldiers in town spoke of the days when they'd been popular as a warrior's garb. And and Kaladin is sort of impressed with this man's appearance. He says, oh, he's a, he's a soldier. He's a warrior. He's going to be great. And this guy just stares out at the crowd and doesn't say anything anything super unimpressed with what he sees super unimpressed and cal's dad speaks up to be like oh bright lord was your trip pleasant can we show you the town and rashon is like who are you and he's like i'm Lyran. i'm you know i'm hearthstone surgeon and rashon is like mm, you're the one who let wistio die and he just is like in a way it's your fault i'm in this pitiful miserable quarter of the kingdom so he seems nice. He seems nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if it, first of all, so rude. So rude. Listen, I'm going to go on my manager tangent again. It's your job to make the people, like, who, like, the people beneath you are, you're there to support them as much as they're there to support you. Just saying. And I just got a really bad feeling about this because... It's, I just don't think it's going to turn out good because we know how Cal's life turned out. And I'm apprehensive of reading how it happens. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see him go through all this because his father has obviously worked so hard to get them to this highest level. And I'm afraid that all of his family's hard work is going to be erased due mm. to this one person's terrible attitude. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. This is my very best <laughs> Chamberlain noises. <laughs> um, we at the at the tail end of the chapter, after everyone's sort of trying to figure out how this interact like what this interaction means for them in the future, uh, we learn a little more about this game of chance that Liren was referencing. Hasina asks, you know, did we throw the queen or the tower? And he's like, I'm not sure. I think maybe we threw a pair and a trio. And they explain a little bit of this game at the very end of the chapter, except like instead of at the very first portion when Laren mentioned it, which I thought was interesting. So 
the tower was three pairs in a game of breakneck. The queen was two trios. The first was an outright loss. The other was an outright win. So it's it's like a some kind of a dice game or a coins game. Um, but a pair and a trio, that was called the butcher. Whether you won or not would depend on the other throws you made, and more importantly, on the throws of everyone else. And I'm wondering, has anyone actually developed the rules for this game, and could we play it? It reminds me of Farkle. You know, you're asking me this. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Well, you've played Farkle. Do you think we it would be fun to have a Stormlight-themed party and play Farkle, but call it... Um, <laughs> call it this game what is it <laughs> we shall call it Break this neck. game <laughs> <laughs> you're so mean to me uh yeah breakneck perfect handstones listen yeah. i would google it but i've been forbidden from doing that about this that book is true so just that is true if we're going to do this it's up to you <laughs> maybe we could play it with D D dice Oh, yeah. Well, that'd be hard to get pairs from D and Dice. Megan, you have a giant bag full of D and D dice. I bet we <laughs> that could is true. just get a bunch I of do. them. I have too many dice. I'm like a, a dice hoarding dragon. Now I want to have a Way of Kings party when we finish this book and make some of the food in here and heck, maybe play the game. We'll have chicken. Consider it. It's canonically correct yep chicken and pork nice and crab we'll have lots of crab (laughs) (laughs) all right so i have one last question meg before we move to the next chapter okay and i understand you're probably not going to answer me but i want it on the record that i'm thinking about this okay okay what is going to happen to laurel What is going to happen to Laurel? I knew you were going to do that. Because she comes from a very high family. It didn't seem, at least I didn't, I don't think this man brought his family, like, he seems like an older gentleman, like he wouldn't have any sons of marrying ages. Um, so I don't know. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm so sorry. Okay, this is why my question popped up. Because he's looking at the crowd He's looking at the crowd in distaste. Behind the man, two people peeked out. A younger man with a narrow face and an older woman with braided hair. I don't know if those are his kids. I don't know if this is like a traveling entourage. I'm just really worried for this poor girl who might get married off. Like, poor... Oh my gosh. what What's, what's our friend's name from the beginning? Shalon. I'm just worried that, that she's... I'm worried about Laurel. Bottom line, I'm worried uh-huh. that she's going to be married off and things are going to go badly. That's my worry. Oh. Oh, wow. Well, so far, the flashbacks have been in chronological order. So I, I'm from the data we have now, we can guess that we'll find out what happens next to <laughs> Laurel, Rashon. Laren, Hasina, everyone. Maybe we'll figure out a few more rules to playing breakneck along the way. (laughs) Um, Listen, I know it's probably pretty, like, artsy-fartsy, 
But writing a book out of chronological order, trying to read a book that's not in chronological order, I'm not talking about this. The flashbacks are fine. I'm talking about like a whole book out of chronological order. Seems like madness to me. As I lay dying. That's a rough read. 14 first person narrators, not told in perfect order. Half of them are unreliable. It was a artsy fartsy book I had to read for school. And I, uh, I wrote my AP Lit essay on it and got a good score. So do you know what? All's well that ends well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. On to the next chapter. Chapter 26, Stillness. Oh, Emily, would yep. you please read the epigraph to this? I'd be happy to. I am being chased. Your friends of the 17th Shard, I suspect... I believe they're still lost, following a false trail I left for them. They'll be happier that way. I doubt they have any inkling what to do with me should they actually catch me. I'm guessing that this is Hoyd writing this letter, and he is having a grand old time keeping one step ahead of everybody. <laughs> Man, I wonder who the 17th Shard could be. Shout out to the 17th Shard. Awesome fan forum. <laughs> Um, so I was wondering just off of that, the 17 shards, is that what's supposed, like, are there only 17 shard blades? Is that just like they named themselves after this cultural phenomenon? I don't know. Phenomenon. (laughs) Phenomenon. (laughs) Um, something that's fun and is almost like a, a little meta shout out here. Uh, is that the official Brandon Sanderson uh, fan website is 17thshard.com. Oh, that's um, cool. And I, and I know it, it is a reference to <laughs> something else in the Cosmere that Emily boo. doesn't know about. Flaunting your knowledge, uh, boo. But I always giggle about this letter being like <laughs> 17th Shard. They think they know what's going on, but they don't. And it's like, <laughs> come on. Brandon, just give us more books to read and we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah. What an, what an interesting bunch of letters. When we get to the end of section two, which we're very close to, at the very last of reading of this section, I'll read to you this whole letter in order from these, these epigraphs. That would be awesome. I'd appreciate that. Yep. Um, but now we're doing a little Dalinar chapter. He is listening to someone read to him. It's Latima? Litma? Mm-hmm. Yep. She's tall and plump and wore a violet silk gown with yellow trim. I love it. LSU colors. Go Tigers. Uh, there is a pitcher of orange afternoon wine, which means it's not intoxicating. Uh, Dalinar's just drinking orange soda. <laughs> as he's... <laughs> As he's listening to, oh, I'm sorry, Orange Martinelli. As he is sitting in this beautifully furnished room with like wood and woven rugs and diamond chandeliers. uh, And Latima is reading him a story. A very heavy story. Yeah, what's it about? Um, So she's reading to him from The Way of Kings. And it's talking about a vision, I think a vision that happened. A vision that they was written down. And in this vision, there's a dozen candles that burn themselves basically out. Um, And it says, each of my breaths made them tremble. To them, I was a behemoth to frighten and destroy. And yet, if I stray too close, they could destroy me. 
my invisible breath, the pulses of life that flowed in and out, could end them freely, while my fingers could not do the same without being repaid in pain. A point of clarity. Um, I don't think it's a vision. Oh. I think it's a para- I think it's a parable. Okay, got it. Um, as I was reading through this and looking at this, um, this person ends up saying, like, these candle flames were like the lives of men, so fragile, so deadly, left alone, they lit and warmed, let run rampant, they would destroy the very things they were meant to illuminate. And I couldn't help but compare, think about Elokar when I was reading this. Mm-hmm. And he is not prepped. He is not capable of controlling any flame. And I feel that if the country is left in his hands, we're going to get a revolution from the the people he, you know, his father helped unite. And they're going to want to break off. Which is why I think Dalinar keeps trying to basically let Elokar win. Like when he let him mm-hmm. do the chasm fiend by himself. And he's trying to boost this kid's self-esteem. Because I think Dalinar knows in his heart... Um, it's gonna. It's pretty fragile. This this unspoken alliance between Elokar and mm-hmm. his high princes. And so uh, Dalinar's trying to avoid a coo coo kachu. So Dalinar is like me, in which he's read The Way of Kings multiple times. And, yeah, I bet he doesn't uh, gloat over what he knows and other people don't know. Yeah, Dalinar's a better man than I am. <laughs> But it's it's interesting that he's not just like listening to it through, but he's really studying it. Like he he feels very strongly about he definitely feels more strongly about his copy than I do about my copy. Although my feelings are all incredibly warm and positive, his are more like deep and ponderous. <laughs> but basically, he's thinking about his life and he's thinking about his choices. Oh, here's here's a question. So he's standing in front of all of his maps. Smaller copies mm-hmm. of those that hung in the gallery, they'd been recreated for him by the royal cartographer, Isasik Shulin. Isasik? I don't know how you say his name. I apologize. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if only Dalinar had those, if he had them specially commissioned, why he likes maps so much, or if every high prince has them in their quarters so they don't have to just keep traveling to the cartographer's room. Emily, you have discovered an Easter egg. <gasps> I did? Yes, you have just unlocked it. I um, did? I say, yeah. I say a sick Shulin is a character named after Isaac Stewart, who is the art director for Team Dragonsteel and the person who actually draws the maps for the book. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm so <laughs> glad I know that. That's so sweet. Yeah, and so um, because the the idea, and I've told you with all of the with all of the art pieces that are inside this book, the idea is that they are all artifacts from the actual world of Roshar, um, and so Isaac is the overall art director for the uh, visual contents of the book. Like he's the one who contacts the artists and like works as the go between between them and Brandon as uh, the ideas are developed and the products get ready for print. So there you go. 
You found him. I Good love job. It. I love it so much. Thanks, Meg. Uh, oh, listeners, Isaac actually has a picture book that came out this year called Monsters Don't Wear Underpants. It's very cute if you have a young child in your life who is getting ready to make that switch into big kid underwear. Uh, you should check it out. It's charming and delightful. Monsters Don't Wear Underpants. <laughs> cute, cute, cute. Um, Renarin comes in. And is like, hey, Dad, is there something I can do for you? And Dalinar's like, I wish there was. And he goes off in this diatribe of this book. And I'm just imagining Renarin being like, Dad, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dalinar's kind of in a mood, too. Because he's, <laughs> you know, when you, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I definitely have where, like, something's bothering you. And so you think you can fix it by doing other things. That have nothing to do with your big problem because maybe that <laughs> might fix it um and so dalinar's looking around his room and being like everything's too nice everything's too nice i should just get rid of everything but that wouldn't solve the problem like <laughs> i just think it's really funny yeah and and he's talking to renar and it being like you know what this book People used to think of this book as one of the great masterpieces of philosophy and and Yasna says the kings around the world, you know, they used to study it all the time and now they consider it blasphemous. And uh, <laughs> this seems like a dad moment or like a father is like, you know, back in my day, people used to value the written word or like, you know, in the past, in the good old days, you know, a hard days were anyway, it was it was a very dad moment of. Uh, and and having a son just quietly being like, mm-hmm. But Dalinar's like, okay, well, you know, to business. This this high prince rejected me. Um, a different high prince rejected me. Uh, which high prince should I approach next? <laughs> and uh, Renarin is finally like, well, you know, Adolin says we should be a lot more worried <laughs> because Sadius is trying to destroy us. <laughs> oh. I like how human all of these characters are. Um, I like how they react to the situation. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound so stupid, but they they feel like real people a little bit. But they Brandon Sanderson does a job, good job, where the characters react based on how he's written them. You know, sometimes you get mm-hmm. into a series, and either the author needs to hurry and wrap it up. Or the TV season has gone on too long and finally they're like, oh, um, the character does this. Even though they would never really do that, but for the sake of the plot, they have to do this. And I like that right. Brandon Sanderson has the plot and the characters bouncing off each other. Um, it's just, it's very refreshing to have this very organically flowing story. We then have a little war meeting. And... Some interesting characters show up. Taleb, a high officer on duty, and his wife, Kalami, who comes, and she is a historian of note and has requested permission to record meetings like this one. She is planning to inscribe a history of the war. So she's like literally making a documentary. She's the (laughs) camera person in the room. I like her. She's pretty cool. Um, Taleb comes in to tell... Dalinar that there's a chasm fiend and to Taleb's credit he even though 
all signs probably point to Delinar not going out because he never does. He still does his duty and reports, hey, there's a chasm fiend. And he also points out that Prince Sadius is going to have a hard time reaching this chasm fiend. And isn't it convenient? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I guess they're going to need a, a troop of bridgemen. No, he doesn't use bridgemen. Well, I guess he's just going to need one really good team. You know, I was kind of hoping that would happen. Listen, I think I asked for this to happen. That I want, I want Kaladin and Dalinar to team up. They would be unstoppable. Well, uh, we don't know if Bridge 4 is, you know, the, the chosen bridge, but Taleb does get uh, permission to recruit and train a single manned bridge team. So keep we'll keep an eye on that as, as well, the... How? Okay, here's how I see this playing out. And again, you need to rein me in if I'm just getting too out there. Sadius, I do not believe, would do anything to help Dalinar. I don't believe he would give him Bridgman to train. So I don't know how Kaladin and Dalinar are supposed to end up on the same team unless Sadius thinks he is, what is the word when you like mess with someone's broom so they can't play Quidditch? What's the word I'm thinking of? Sabotage. 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 Unless um, Sadius thinks by giving Dalinar Bridge 4 the worst, quote unquote, worst bridge crew out there that's the only way i can see of kaladin um being shuffled over to dalinar's war camps <laughs> because i'm pretty sure they keep track of who's supposed to be where and i don't think he can just be like oh, i'm gonna switch sides now anyways sorry that was a tangent <laughs> <laughs> but back to what's going on uh dalinar <laughs> is thinking like this is this is not the time for this. This is, a, I need to be focused and doing this other thing. And instead he goes, no, this is the right time. And so they send out the call that they're going to go after this chasm fiend. Yeah! Emily, are you excited to get on the battlefield? I am. I'm very excited. The officer scattered. Dalinar's armor bearers entered a moment later. It had only been a few minutes since the horns had sounded. But after six years of fighting... The machine of war ran smoothly when battle called. And guess what happens next, y'all? Oh my gosh, is it a magical transformation sequence? Is it an awesome gear up montage? Yes, Dalinar is basically Iron Man getting in his Iron Man suit. So yeah, he he gets locked into his armor. And it's so cool to see him gear up and to see how this works. So the thing that happens first is one always put the armor on from the feet upward. Shardplate was extremely heavy. Without the enhanced strength it provided, no man would be able to fight in it. He steps into the first piece and the straps tightened of their own accord, fitting across his boots. Sabatons. Yeah. What? Okay, is a sabaton the thing that protects, like, your shin bone? No, those are the greaves. Oh. Uh, the sa sabaton is, like, the boot itself. Okay. So these are all, um, like like most fantasy books that take place in another world, um, the idea is that these books have all been translated from the original language into English. A lot of these are actual armor pieces 
that we get from like our own earth history. So Sabaton are like, um, they're like an ankle high boot uh, that you step into. They're, they're like your cleats. Uh, they're sitting at the very bottom of the armor. It's his self velcroing Nike air shoes. Yeah, because they, uh, he, he gets most of it on himself. He does have like, dressers for like locking up straps and and stuff and everything um but yeah so he steps into the sabatons and then the greaves are the shin plates that that you were thinking of um and here's something interesting about shard plate there's no mesh of steel mail and no like leather straps at you know like the knee joints or the ankle joints shard plate is made of increasingly smaller plates that interlock and overlap uh, incredibly intricate, leaving no gaps. And there's no, uh, like, chafing or, like, rubbing. It fits him perfectly. And so you have to put the armor from the feet up um, because it's so heavy. Like, without the magically enhanced strength it gives you, there's no way that you would be able to wear it. And it's just, this is fun to, like, read all the little gadgets and gizmos aplenty that go into putting on your shard your shardmer your shard armor and it makes him feel great he actually takes off running down the hallway and everyone's like oh oh, we gotta follow him oh and he's just excited he's like do you know what back in the game back in the chase (laughs) i don't know what it is today i've got a lot of music happening in my brain um i was i didn't have anything playing in my headphones earlier so i was working and I noticed, though, at one point that I was just, like, bobbing my head really fast. Just, like, bum, 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 bum. And then I stopped, and I'm like, what? There's no music playing. And I realized I had been subconsciously listening to Megalovania in my head from uh, Undertale. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was great. Oh, I like music. All right. Done with that tangent. We're all getting prepped up, ready to go out to battle, and then... What happens? The worst person shows up and it's just like, him, him. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Just just slightly before that. I'm so sorry. Uh, backtrack just a tiny bit because Adolin brings a date to the battle. Oh, that's right. <laughs> she wants like to everyone's... come. She wants yeah. to come. It's not like It's not like he's taking her around like his other date where he took her to the tannery and then to you know the stables and this girl wants to be there we're all gonna go out on a family trip with adeline bringing a plus one (laughs) out to the battle and then the messengers show up and they're like hi lord sadius wants admittance to your war camp i think obviously he's done doing this on purpose because he can't get his team there in time So Mm -hmm. he's going to use psychological warfare on Dalinar, who's going out for basically the first time in forever. For the first (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I'm going to say you're going to owe me a dollar every time you do that because I have to edit it out. (laughs) Oh, also, sorry, rewind a tiny bit. Again, Uh in my notes, I wrote Dalinar is an excellent example of a manager. He's truly impartial. He does what is best for the crew. Companies get into trouble when managers play favorites or push a personal agenda. And I like that. I just like Dalinar. He's great. I hope that 
nothing happens to make me doubt him ever. Mm. Oh. oh, random other question. Has anyone ever put this book in chronological order? I mean, like the entire series of from when Kaladin, all of his flashbacks in chronological I just, I'd be very interested to read this book in chronological order at one point. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm sure you can look up and someone's like listed the, the page things out in chronological order. Um, if that's something you're interested in when the, when you're done with that copy of the book and we move on to words of radiance, I can mark up your way of Kings with like color coded sticky notes. Awesome. I would love that. I will do that for you. Thank you. You're welcome. It's because I love you. <laughs> um, oh, Dalinar and Adolin actually also make up. They apologize to each other. Like, Dalinar was going to invite him on the trip anyway. I think that's where my note came from. But I just, I have great regard for Dalinar and his ability to lead the company even when he obviously has a personal crisis going on because he does what needs to mm-hmm. be done. Anyways, yeah. Sadius, the jerk, shows up. And uh, uh, he's gonna, he shows up in his shard plate. So it's not a friendly thing. He's prepared to go out with them. And it's, it's clear to everyone else, but I think he shows up on the, on the pretense of, hey, this is my new job. I just happen to be in shard armor. I'm here to do my job. He's invited himself on the Colin family outing. Oh, that's true. Anyways, um, and he's also kind of snotty about Dalinar's bridges that aren't pulled by men. And he's like, well, Mm -hmm. I doubt that even were I to decide to crawl, I could slow you any further. And and, um, so we all go out to the battlefields together and we do see, like, how slow it is for these children bridges to move. And... So that gives Dalinar plenty of time to think where he's like, you know, why, why does Sadius want to be high prince of information? Um, why is he being so serious about pursuing this cut strap matter? He also calls him his former friend. I am very yeah. interested to find out what happened to make them not be friends anymore. But then Dalinar talks himself out of it because he says the visions told me to trust him. Hmm. And um, Sadius has brought like, a group like it's not just him it's like how many other people are there it's like a ton of other people right a uh, an entourage an entourage yeah Sadius comes and talks to him and yeah they have a conversation where two things are happening like there there are there are hidden meanings behind everything we wanted to find out why Sadius and Dalinar were no longer friends. And we get a tiny glimpse into what Dalinar used to be like. And he was a drunk. Not just that one night that Gavilar died. Apparently, he was a drunk a lot. (laughs) Hi, I'm Dalinar, and I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Sadius says, even in the old days, you hated it when someone implied that you were insecure. Back then, your displeasure often ended with a head or two rolling across the stones. We talked about this in another, another episode, but... It's not very often that you get a character that's already gone through a growth arc. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things I'm really liking about Dalinar is that he has tried to make himself better and he's continued to try to make himself better 
it's not like a oh once I was drunk and then I tried not to be but it was too hard and so I went back to my old ways it's he has completely turned his life around due to guilt and all of these things that happen we don't often get characters like that and I'm just Mm -hmm. fascinated by him when you were reading this because how we do this now is Emily um (laughs) reads it and then Oh, we do it on video call where I just watch her. And anytime her face twitches or she makes a little giggle or she kind of just any micro expression, I always go, what happened? What's happening? What's happening now? What's going on in the book? What's happening now, Mifta? When you're reading this part, you're like, wait, I don't get this. It said that like people would insult Dalinar and heads will roll. What does that mean? And I'm like, he used to get drunk and kill people who insulted him. And you were like, what? Because I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe Dalinar had done that. I refused to believe, even though it was there in black yep. and white. Wow. Dalinar. Com- a complex, complex history with that man. But Sadius also obliquely mentions, don't you ever want to let it out the way you used to? Doesn't it pound on you inside? Like, like something trapped inside a drum, uh, beating, banging, trying to claw free. And Dalinar's like, yep, yes. (laughs) Sadius is like, uh, oh, uh, okay. Uh, the thrill, like I'm talking about the thrill, Dalinar. And Dalinar's like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And here we find out a little bit more Alethi culture info. You don't talk about the thrill out loud. It's considered a very like private thing. So Emily, we're going to break that convention And I'm going to ask you to tell me what you know slash what you feel about the thrill. So what I know, at least for Dalinar, is that in battle he gets this feeling. It talks about when he was climbing rocks with Elokar earlier and he's competing against him and he just kind of feels this surge of energy um, that not quite takes him over, but it definitely aids him in his quest to reach the top and so it's mm-hmm. almost like a an endorphin boost I feel like and I'm I don't know if it's caused by the shard armor because I mean that thing like lets down our you know yeah. leap tall buildings in a single bound and you know all these other things and so I don't know if it's caused by the shard armor or if this is like a biological thing that Alethkar people have I, I that's what I know mm-hmm. He does feel it in the flashback without his shard mer. Oh, that's his right. His shard armor. Not not the flashback, sorry, his vision. His vision. Um, that's right. Yeah, it's like the ultimate adrenaline rush. We get to the battle, but put a, put a pin in the thrill cuz I want to talk about the moment before we do get to the battle. Um where Sadius is uh insulting the book The Way of Kings. And saying that that book ruined Gavilar, this, you know, tales of children's virtue stories and false ideals. And he's like, you're you're taken in by this fairy tale. No one ever lived the way that the codes claim they do. And Dalinar's like, do you know what? I don't have time for you today. And it's time to go off to battle. Uh, But first, Dalinar found himself remembering a day when he stood with his brother beside the impossible falls of Kolinar. Things are different now, Dalinar, Gavilar had said. I see now, in ways I never did before. I wish I could show you what I mean. 
It had been three days before his death. Okay, are you ready for some conspiracy theory stuff? Yes! Okay, so my wild hunch now is that the Way of Kings is a... There's an enchantment on the book. Okay, either A, there's an enchantment on the book and anyone who listens to it is taken in by this enchantment... Or B, whoever is reading the book to the person is laying a spell on the on the listener. And they had ensnared Gavilar somehow, you know, and now they're doing the same thing to get to Dalinar. So that's my wild conspiracy theory. So Lanier, is that her name? That was reading out loud to Dalinar? She might be a bad guy. That's a little bit sexist. Okay. She might be a Sorry, villain. I'm kidding. I'm kidding because, no, no, because no, you're like, oh, it's witches. It's all witches. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably how Sadius feels too. <laughs> hey, this is a good conspiracy theory. Thank you. Because words it's... have power and books have power. So I don't know if he's been like mind whammied, you know, um, and if if um, Dalinar's going to have to like break free or someone's going to break free for him or if whoever wrote the book is reaching out through time to pull Dalinar in and to teach him stuff. There's just there's something going on and I'm very impatient to figure out what happens because I want to know. This is when I would I be skipping. Know. Oh, go ahead. Megan. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I can't. I can't. This is going to be a record uh, episode for us. <laughs> so three days before Gavilar's death, he had told this to Dalinar. And then I went off on a conspiracy theory. And now we're back to mm-hmm. 10 heartbeats. And we're fighting. Yep. We are in the thick of it. Um, there's one moment of visual writing that I just love. Um, where Dalinar runs and jumps across a chasm. So they're they're in a tangle with a Parshendi. His plate gave him a surge of strength as he reached the edge of the chasm. Oh, then really leaped. quick. <sighs> Emily, I'm his... trying to do a moment. Sorry, <laughs> okay. sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, he and his son are leading the charge. That was it. <laughs> that was, it was important. Because Sadius sits in the middle with all of his men. And it's, yes. Uh, I'm sorry, I you're killed right, the moment. You're right, you're right. Um, his plate gave him a surge of strength as he reached the edge of the chasm, then leaped. For a moment, he soared above the inky chasm, cape flapping, arrows filling the air around him. He was reminded of the flying radiant from his vision. But this was nothing so mystical, just a standard shard plate assisted jump. And so, like, I can see that filmically. I can see the run. I can see the, the jump. There's a little bit of a slow motion at the top of his arc as we get like the sunlight. We're shooting from below, right? And we're looking up into the sky and the light is streaming through the cape. And then we come back into normal time as he crashes back down on the ground and starts fighting. It's just, it's a majestic moment. And I love these little visual, visual bits. But yeah, Dalinar and Adolin are leading the charge. It was important. Who's reading this for the first time, me or you? (laughs) Definitely you. Uh, Dalinar is feeling the thrill and enjoying it. 
Yeah, and he's, I mean, it's talking about all the people he's cutting down with his shard blade and they, their eyes, so the Parshendi, he slays three with a single blow. Their eyes burn black and smoke rose as they collapse. Like, he is just, like, hacking and slashing and, yeah, it's pretty intense. The glory of the battle grew grand. He saw with clarity now. They did need to push harder, assault more plateaus, win the gem hearts. Dalinar was the Blackthorn. He was a natural force, never to be halted. He was death itself. He... He felt a sudden stab of powerful revulsion, a sickness so strong it made him gasp. Hey, uh, Emily, what's going on with this? I think, on the other side... Everyone else has been mind whammied, and Dalinar's the only one who's not now. <laughs> so you're 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 switching you're switching tracks, switching sides because because there's a spot where at the end he says he froze, noticing a group of Parshendi on a nearby plateau. His scouts watched them warily. It was the army that Dalinar's people had driven off. Um, they talked about majority had escaped. Um, a commanding figure stood at their head, a large Parshendi in glittering armor, shard plate. Even at a distance, it was easy to tell the difference between it and something more mundane. The shard bearer hadn't been here during the battle itself. Why come now? Had he arrived too late? I think that's a wizard. And he's trying to, like, whip everyone into a frenzy to weaken the Alethkar people so that whoever hired the Parshendi... To take the fall for Gavilar's death um, can then go to the main city of Alethkar and take the capital. And if they can just okay. get everyone to keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting, they're going to kill out all their warriors and there's not going to be enough people to protect the city. Okay. That's the train okay. I'm on. That, all right. You ride You ride that train. Ride that train. Nope. No. <laughs> So so before these thoughts, Dalinar is having a moment when the thrill leaves him and he's horrified by what they're doing. He sees basically what he has wrought with the blood everywhere. And it's very, I mean, it's graphic without being too graphic, but you know, there's, it's yeah. the aftermath of a war. There's stuff that is on the inside that should stay on the inside, but now is on the outside. Everywhere. And there, yeah, and there is... A voice whispering to him once these weapons meant protecting and as Dalinar is looking across the the horror across the battlefield that voice whispers to him again and says life before death and so he jumps back into battle this time instead of being taken by the thrill and like the self glory of it he goes in to fight for and protect his men and he's like it's not what the radiance had fought for but it was something. Yeah, he his shard blade raised high. He charged into battle to kill for his men. That was not what the Radiance had fought for, but at least it was something. And so he has been greatly affected by the loss of the thrill, which kind of snaps him mm. back to reality almost. And he's like, well, I this isn't super honorable, but I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah, and there were a lot of Prashendi corpses, and now it just exhausts him. And here we see the person you mentioned. There is a large Prashendi in glittering armor, a shard plate. Even at a distance, it's easy to tell the difference between it and something more mundane. 
and Dalinar our wonders why wasn't this person in shard armor present during the battle you're a wizard yeah <laughs> uh so we learned we learned some cool things in this chapter uh and we learned i think stuff about the thrill particularly that's very interesting that uh the fact that so many men in the alethi uh, in the Alethi culture, like, feel and value the thrill uh, gives us a good look into why they're so violent and why they worship war so much. It's the press a button and get a serotonin reward, except in this case, press the button is go into battle and kill people. Mm-hmm. I think they're being manipulated. This whole thing feels like a manipulation to me, you know, with the death and the Parshendi not explaining why they quote-unquote killed Gavilar if they really did um and the stubbornness and pig-headedness of the Alethkar just like charging into battle over and over and over and never getting anywhere Mm -hmm. so either someone needs to keep them busy or someone's deliberately trying to get rid of as many like able-bodied men as they can Mm mm-hmm so there's a couple voices at work. There's whatever's inside the thrill. There's whatever's whispering to Dalinar. And there's, I don't know, maybe others, but <laughs> add it add it to the watch list. <laughs> uh, if we turn the page, there is a reproduction of a woodblock print image that supposedly is... Of a void bringer. Dun dun dun. There you go. That's the void bringer. Anyway, on to chapter 27. Chasm um, duty. So here is another. Listen, I feel like I'm going off on a lot of conspiracy theories, but I'm really, 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 really getting into it. Yeah. A void bringer related to a chasm fiend. That is a incredibly interesting question that you asked because of this picture please put a star in that next to your notes okay i did there's already a star i put star chasm fiend <laughs> equals void bringer oh did i already tell you to star it no i did it myself oh well star it again <laughs> okay double star so chasm duty is one of my favorite chapters um in the not the copy of the book i gave emily because I figured it would be a spoiler, but the copy that I kept for myself, there is one crack in the spine, and it's for this chapter, because I just, I just love it. So I'm 100% the opposite of impartial. So Emily, (laughs) I'm going to have you talk to us about what happens. Perfect. So we open up where Kaladin has brought all of their hard work. They they were um, trying to get all that sap out of those um, wheats that they had harvested earlier, and he is hoping to sell this to the old man at the apothecary. And they have put so much effort into it. I mean, they have they had to be sneaky. They had to find broken bottles to put this stuff into. I mean, it is just, it has been a huge labor. Just huge. And he shows up to the apothecary person. And he's like, hey, you said this stuff would be expensive. How much will you give me for this? 
And the apothecary's like, uh, where did you get this? And so Kaladin explains, like, there were some wild ones. He doesn't say how many or anything like that. Um, he's like, there were some wild ones, and we, I did it myself. And the apothecary's like, well, this is practically worthless. Um, basically, he's telling him, all your hard work it's not the quality I need. The, the wild plants are weaker. And he's giving him all these excuses and puts the money on the table. And they're, they're clear marks, Megan. How how much is that? It's... <laughs> are you going to ask me in American dollars? No, I was going to say compared <laughs> to like a brome or something like that. Okay. Um. No, convert it to nuts and sickles, Megan. Okay, <laughs> I can't do that. I'm just going to look up. I just Googled Way of Kings money. I hope that'll help. <laughs> gem currency system. All right. So so here we've got a gemstone conversion table that I've looked up on the stormlightarchives.fandom.com slash wiki slash currency. Thank you very much. Uh, diamonds are the lowest denomination. Those are the clear marks then? Uh, clear mark is a worth five chips. So I believe, I believe Bridgman get five marks for their weekly uh, salary. And he's only getting a fraction of, of that for all of this. And he's hard getting, work. yeah, he's getting four marks for that every week. And so a chip, uh, basically, let's say a diamond chip is a penny, a mark is a nickel. And a brome is basically a quarter. A brome is 20 chips. Okay. We really quick find out that the spheres are not actually completely spherical. They're flattened on one edge to keep from rolling off the table, which that actually I think I had worried about in the back of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Kaladin realizes that the sap had worked. It didn't doesn't need to be distilled. It works as is. And the apothecary actually gives him another mark. So he's ending up with three. And he's like, well, I hate to see all your effort go to waste. And Kaladin and Syl both realize something is wrong, that something is, is happening. Um, and Kaladin starts pointing out all the man's lies. Uh, last time Kaladin said, you told me I'd be lucky to get one drop per read. You said that was why knob weed sap was so expensive. You said nothing about wild plants being weaker. Well, I didn't think you'd go and try and gathering them, and he trailed off as Kaladin locked eyes with him. The army doesn't know, do they? Kaladin asked. They aren't aware how valuable those plants outside are. You harvest them, you sell the sap, and you make a killing since the military needs a lot of antiseptic. So we realize that the apothecary, not just him, but all of them, harvest it, tell people it's super hard to harvest and expensive, and sell it for a bundle of money. He says, I'll give you a sky mark, the apothecary said. That's half what I charge the military for this much, which is like a bottle, a small, like, a small jar. Kaladin turned, uh, you charge them two sky marks for something that takes a couple of days to gather? Okay, so Emily, to, to jump us back into the money table, which I still have pulled up, a sky mark, which is a sapphire mark, is worth 125 diamond chips. So wow. that means it's worth, oh man, 
125 divided by 5 is 5. So it's worth 5 diamond marks. A sapphire spear was worth about 25 times a diamond one. Dang it. So it's worth 25 diamond marks. Yeah. I did some math real wrong just now. So like <laughs> diamond is the uh, least valuable and then garnet, ruby, sapphire, and emerald. Also, I don't know if I could tell the difference between a garnet and a ruby. I could. I guess garnets are a little purplier. No, rubies are purplier. I don't know if I could tell the difference between a garnet and a ruby. <laughs> I don't look at gems that often. Um, so Kaladin finds out that all the apothecary people in the army do this, that it's they got together and decided this is what they were going to do. So it's not just this one guy. And... Um, and uh, Kaladin makes a deal. And how much does Kaladin make? Let's see. So he gives him, he says he's going to give him a sky mark. Uh, once this wouldn't have seemed like much money to Kaladin, now it was a fortune. Still, he hesitated. I should expose you. Men die because of you. No, they don't, the apothecary said. The high princes have more than enough to pay this, considering what they make on the plateaus. We supply them with bottles of sap as often as they need them. All you do by exposing us is let monsters like Sadius keep a few more spheres in their pockets. And Kaladin has just stumbled on this huge, not conspiracy, but I find it interesting that... <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, he stumbled He stumbled upon the economy. <laughs> The economy. Um, where? Oh, now I lost my thought because that's so funny. I can't think of it right now. <laughs> uh, Kaladin is always learning more about how the world works, much to his dismay. <laughs> I don't like it. Can I have a new one? <laughs> oh, and Syl is worried later that this is dishonest. She's very concerned about this. And we've noticed about her earlier that this is a theme with her she doesn't want to be dishonest so I don't know if if like she tells a lie she'll disappear or if like I don't know what exactly is happening with her thing but um Kaladin assures her it's not dishonest it's business lavish grain is sold the same way grown by the farmers and sold at a pittance to merchants who carry it to the cities and sell it to other merchants who sell it to people for four or five times what it was originally bought for Part of my job is we work in wholesale versus retail prices. And mm -hmm. it's so interesting to me to look at some of these brands that we work with. Well, we'll buy, you know, a pair of shoes for $35. Retail, they go for $180. Not that extreme, but, but something close to that. So it's just, it's fascinating to see what people will pay for stuff that's for the brand name. Yeah. It's just it's just interesting to see what people will pay versus what other people say something is worth, you know, because I don't know, the economy. That's all we need to say. The economy. Uh so um here's a huge spoiler, but Kaladin tells the Bridgman we should put all of our money <laughs> into uh, knobweed sap and if we all put our money in it'll drive up the price high enough <laughs> that it'll um, short change all of the high princes who make all of their money by trading in knobweed sap futures and that's how the revolution is funded 
<laughs> oh, you guys, listen. Never do this if you're in the stock market. But I calculated how much I would have made had I put everything into GameStop shares when it was its lowest in January and sold at its highest. I wouldn't have to work ever again in my life. Ever again. <laughs> the economy. <laughs> All right. Here we go. They are assigned chasm duty. And this is not something that Cal volunteered them for either. This is something that uh, Gaz has done. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's like, it's the only way to keep it fair. You need to be punished because you're taking care of these men and they were supposed to be left out there and die. And so I think the punishment is trickling down the chain and everything's just going to land on the bridgemen because there's no one else they can pass it to. Everyone knows, this is from Gaz, everyone knows you broke the rules in bringing back those men. If the others do what you did, we'd have each barrack filled with the dine before the leeward side of a month was over. They're people, Gaz. If we don't fill the barracks with wounded, it's because we're leaving them out there to die. They'll die here anyway. We'll see. Like, Kaladin has decided these people are his family and nothing is going to keep him from taking care of his team. Um, Gaz watched him, eyes narrow. It seemed like he suspected that Kaladin had somehow tricked him in taking the stone-gathering duty. Earlier, Gaz had apparently gone down to the chasm, probably trying to figure out what Kaladin and the other two had been doing. So, there is suspicion, but but Kaladin and Rock and Teft have been clever enough to avoid a problem so far. Um, but so here far. is where we get to Chasm Duty. Chasm Duty. And so this is basically the, the floor of the Amazon forest where they come down from the chasms down to their bottom. There's nowhere else to go. And... It's explained that people are sent down here to try and gather um, weapons that have fallen, to pick over the bodies of soldiers that have fallen. And you would think that with the war that's been going on for so long, that there would they'd just be like crawling over piles of bones. But there are flash floods every so often that clear everything out. Yeah, so the fighting is going on top of these like series of plateaus and so it's very easy to wily e. coyote fall off the edge except unlike wily e. coyote they would actually die um and so there's like a whole different kind of ecosystem down here than there is up top uh there's this moss all over the walls and like these thin vines um and there's like little bits of like wood and cloth and torn bone that is wedged into like little clefts in the rock or, or stuff down there. So it's it's imagine the uh, slot canyons that you see those really great pictures of that that are all like red sandstone and like beautifully worn out and all this stuff. And that's what it's like down there if it were completely covered in moss and vines. Also, it's just. It's a really cool setting. And then add to that the fact that you have uh, all these little glowy spren down here as well. Like um, the bodies they do find have little red rat spren all over them. They've got torches. They've got some torches with them. But they only light like one or two at a time because they have to ration them. 
and there's there's all these cool every once in a while they'll like point out a different little plant like a tube-shaped fungi this yellow mushroom tubes that grow in the cracks and stuff and it's just interesting to see like this part of the war that you know this is just an, an aftermath of their this style the of end, fighting and what's some, happening for, yeah it's the end for many people um because they do find a body oh so they find a body and it is of a bridgeman and you realize it's someone who jumped down the honor chasm everyone is very reverent about it and they wish him well and uh kind of treat him with some some reverence i don't think they blame him for what he did it's a very it's a very touching scene um this place is also like a maze and so they have to keep track of where they are and they also have to are you singing again no (laughs) (laughs) um so they said the chasms are a wandering maze and getting to a specific contested plateau and then returning in a reasonable time was near impossible um it says that meant a lot of random wandering but over the years enough bodies had fallen that it wasn't too difficult to find places to harvest the crew was required to bring up a specific amount of salvage or face docked pay for the week but the quota wasn't onerous enough to keep the bridgemen working but not enough to force them to fully exert themselves like most bridgemen work this was meant to keep them occupied as much as anything else i think i said that earlier that all of these tasks that they are also assigned to do in addition to being bridgemen is Mm -hmm. basically keep them busy it's busy work you did i think you said exactly that thank you man i'm doing good on these chapters minus all the the um conspiracy theories that may or may not be true so some of the bridgemen rock Teft, Kaladin are actually talking and chatting, you know, as they're as they're doing stuff. Um, there's a bit where they're talking about the the flash floods and just how dangerous uh, being in a slot canyon can be. Um, that there could be chasm fiends there waiting yeah. to eat them. Uh, and there's a bit where they're talking about the flash flood, and Rock is like, "It's best not to be caught in it." And Teft's like, "Yeah." Though Teft, Rock added, it would give you a bath, which you very much need. Hey, Teft grumbled. Is that a comment on how I smell? No, Rock said. It's comment on what I have to smell. Sometimes I'm thinking that a Parshendi arrow in the eye would be better than smelling entire bridge crew enclosed in the barrack at night. Just the three of them are, are really the ones chatting. And we find out a little more about... Well... As, as the three of them are chatting, Kaladin is like, okay, I, uh, he wants to try and get more Bridgman kind of into this. So he just kind of casually is like, haha, I guess, I guess they're right, huh, Dunny? And he, like, tries to bring one of the other Bridgman into the conversation. And Dunny's like, uh, I, uh, and Rock is like, Dunny, that's a strange name. What does it mean? And Dunny's like, I don't know. Names don't always have a meaning. And here Rock is like, ugh lowlanders how are you gonna know who you are if your name doesn't mean anything so we find out a little bit more about rock's name uh teft asks him to say well teft tries and fails miserably to say it but 
Emily, you said Rock's name pretty solidly the other day. Would you like to try again? I'll give it another shot. His name is Numuhuku Makiaki Alaluamanor. I think I put too many syllables in that there. Was, that, that was pretty close. Uh, it's Numuhuku Makiaki Alaluamanor. Oh, is that all? Yeah, that's all. But uh, <laughs> it's a poem, and now we find out what the poem is. What is it? It says, it is the description of a very special rock my father discovered the day before my birth. So your name is a whole sentence? They're like, I don't, I don't get it. And Rock uh, corrects them and says, is poem, Rock said. On the peaks, everyone's name is poem, which I thought was lovely. And they, they talk about arguments. So usually the best insults are the form of a poem, which is similar in composition and rhyme to the person's name. Which and cool. then Dunny, Dunny tries to do a little uh, put-down poem where he's like, Hey, you big buffoon, you smell like a wet hog, so go out by the moon and jump yourself in the bog. And... Rock is like, that's good. It's really simple, but it's good. <laughs> so we're having we're having a, a very small scale good time with our just little tiny fraction of Bridgman. So they're continuing on talking, singing, and they get to a section of this chasm that has a lot of fresh corpses. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to pick over. We find out really quick, uh, the bodies are wearing the High Princess colors. And Kaladin says, I bet they're from that run a few days back. It went badly for Sadius's forces. And Dunny pipes up immediately and says, Bright Lord Sadius. And then he gets really embarrassed. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to correct you. But when I used to forget to say the title, I was beaten. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's not great. Not great. So everyone goes around looking for stuff. And Meg, what does Kaladin find? (laughs) He found a spear. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what? And apparently he's pretty good with the spear. You know, he's okay. This, so everyone kind of splits off into their own little groups and the, the talking and the laughing pretty much cuts out as the bridgemen are working. The s- stuff that they find, they sort it into piles. So like there's a pile of weapons or breastplates or, you know, helmets, all this sort of stuff. And uh, boots as well. And a very tiny, a very tiny pile for spheres and things. And... He picks up the spear. It's been so long since he's held one. And he can tell that it's like a nice one and everything. He closes his eyes and he remembers um, his training when he first enters Amaram's army. And he has this long speech from his sergeant, I think, Tux. And I want to read this bit because it's a very interesting counterpoint to what Dalinar was feeling with the thrill in the previous chapter. The first step is to care, Tuck's voice seemed to whisper. Some talk about being emotionless in battle. 
Well, I suppose it's important to keep your head, but I hate that feeling of killing while calm and cold. I've seen that those who care fight harder, longer, and better than those who don't. It's the difference between mercenaries and real soldiers. It's the difference between fighting to defend your homeland and fighting on foreign soil. It's good to care when you fight, so long as you don't let it consume you. Don't try to stop yourself from feeling you'll hate who you become. So Kaladin's having a nice moment. On the scale of good days that Kaladin has so far, I mean, this one isn't horrific, uh, but so he's having a nice moment to himself. And then Moash. This guy. Moash, yeah, is like, huh, what are you doing with that spear? Are you going to stab yourself in the gut? And Kaladin just looks up at him. Oh, yeah, he calls him Lordling. And Kaladin's like, okay, only Gaz calls me that. Has he been talking to Gaz? And so Moash starts mean girling. Um, it's like, he claims he's a deserter. Says he was some important soldier, uh, a squad leader or the like. But Gaz says that it's all stupid boasting. So, yeah, yeah, he's been talking to Gaz. Uh, they wouldn't send a man to the bridges if he knew how to fight. And Kaladin has been trying for days to, like, unite the bridgemen and, like, get them a common cause and inspire them. And he's getting a monkey's paw version of that wish right now. Because all of the Bridgemen are unified in how much they hate Kaladin. All of them either start shouting out at him or like talking crap with the person next to them and being like, it's his fault. You know, it's his fault. We're down here and he wants to run us ragged and he thinks he's all that. And, da, 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 da. and um, then at this moment, one voice speaks out above the rest and says, I bet he's never held a spear in his life. And Kaladin just snaps to attention, holding the spear. Everyone just, like, falls silent. And then, Emily, what happens next? He goes through, it's called Kata? Kata? Kata. Um, basically, it's, it's like the positions that you practice in order to fight with a spear. And he does it, muscle memory, and... It says, tension melted away, frustration melted away, and his body sighed in contentment, even as he worked it furiously. This was familiar. This was welcome. This was what it had been created to do. As he's doing all of these things, he's remembering things that happened to him and past friends and, and past um, places he's been, you know, surrounded by enemies, but ringed by friends. And... um. It feels like Kaladin's hole in this moment where he's been missing something and the spear gets put in his hands and this is all he's been born to do is this thing. And I wonder if this is what a true calling feels like in this world. He was slated to be a surgeon, but he feels this pull. He feels this incredible... Um, ability come over him whenever he holds a spear and he goes through it all and when he finishes he's like oh I've missed that as he's thinking that and he opens his eyes and everyone is staring at him just mouths agape and he blinked realizing what he'd done if word got back to Gaz that he was playing around with spears 
Kaladin stood up straight, dropped the spear into the pile of weaponry. Sorry, he whispered to it, though he didn't know why. Then louder he said, back to work, I don't want to be caught down here when night falls. And so everyone's like, oh my gosh, what did you do? And he's like, nothing, I didn't do anything. Leave it alone. Um, so uh, yeah. kata is actually a term from our world. Uh, it's a it's a series of exercises that you can like Google uh, like spear kata, bow staff kata, sword kata. It's a martial arts term that refers to pretty much a, a showy sequence. Um, and so everyone's like, you know that that was amazing. And Kaladin's like, no, that's like you know works out your muscles and like you practice the basics and teft is like uh, excuse me like i've seen people like do katas before uh never one like that and apparently as kaladin was uh as kaladin was doing going through the moves um there was this unique spread that shows up zipping around him between his sweeps glowing with a pale light and rock is like you could see that and uh, apparently it was Syl and she was dancing around with Kaladin while he was sword kata-ing. And so inadvertently Kaladin has given these men hope. Rock says uh, perhaps you should challenge Shardbear. You could become Bright Lord, which is how Rock's people become Shardbearers, if we recall. And Kaladin is just like, no. Besides, I tried that one once. Where's Dunny? And he goes to change the subject and he lets slip a little bit of his past. And Teft picks up on it, but Kaladin won't let him talk about it. So Teft recognizes uh, or kind of picks up that of what Kaladin let slip. And Kaladin is just like not going to talk about this at all. At all. Teft is gracious and he's like, okay, why don't you come with us? We found some Parshendi. Let's go check it out. Parshendi, Kaladin said, let's go look. Might have something valuable. He'd never looted Parshendi bodies before. Fewer of them fell into the chasms than Alethi. Because we also find out earlier in this chapter, Parshendi can jump incredible distances. They don't need bridges because they just jump the chasms. There's a limit to how far they can jump, but that's why they're saying not as many Parshendi fall in as the Alethi because the Parshendi can make it across these these gaps we come upon one just as kaladin had expected they wore armor of pale red color breastplates helms on the heads guards on the arms and legs extensive armor for regular foot soldiers some of it was cracked from the fall or the wash it wasn't metal then painted wood and kaladin's like what you wanted me to see this we you haven't taken it off the body yet what are you trying to tell me that you don't dare take it off the dead don't dare rock said kaladin Master Brightlord, brilliant bridge leader, spinner of spear. Perhaps you will get it off them. <laughs> and we realize that the Parshendi grow their own armor. It's part of them. And and I don't think Rock has ever seen anything like this either because he's like, it is looking like they grow their own armor. And Kaladin's like, that's ridiculous. They they're just people. People, even Parshmen, don't grow armor. Parshendi do, Teft said. The Parshendi grow carapaces. They find out that, you know, Kaladin's like, no, I've known the Par I've known Parshendi before. They didn't look like this. And Rock explains, like, there's different kinds. And so 
I don't know if we're venturing into do you know how the orcs came about like these are like a (laughs) genetically enhanced species of parshendi or whatever but there's a very clear cut between regular quote-unquote and armored parshendi and Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is and it's kind of freaking me out man i wonder blah 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 did you just blah 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 this book no, I'm trying to find the, the place where I am. <laughs> I know, sorry. I'm, te- I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. <laughs> There's something else with the Parshman. Um, they find a... Oh, yeah. And so the they also have um, gemstones woven into their beard. Uh, and they have uh, belts with pouches that have things like flint, tinder, whetstones, you know, basic supplies and things. And they have gemstones in their beards with uh, a hole drilled through them to so they could string them onto uh into their hair and then they also have a really fancy knife and Kaladin holds up one of the parshendi knives and he's like these look like glyphs and he shows it to teft and teft is like i can't read (laughs) (laughs) uh he can't even recognize glyphs so that's that's something about Kaladin that's different. It's like some men know glyphs and glyph pairs, but it's not very common. Uh, if you remember way back when Shalon was walking around Karl Bronth, a lot of the stores had glyph pairs on them, but they were glyph pairs that were designed to be in shapes that was like, this is a blacksmith, this is a bakery, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. And Kaladin's like, okay, we're... The Parshendi aren't supposed to have anything like this. Like, you know, they, they tell us that they are people without a culture. So where did they get knives like these? Like, this looks like one of our heralds. Like, Yazeriza or, or not Nalon. No one else seems interested in this. No one else seems intrigued by this. And so they pack everything up and, and start heading back. Rock is like, you know what, Kaladin, you're doing a good job. I think in a few weeks... These bridgemen, you know, they'll all be yours. They'll all follow you. And Kaladin's like, we're bridgemen. We don't have a few weeks. He's uh, like, I need him now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he lets Rock in on a little secret. That he has a secret weapon. And Rock's like, what is it? And Kaladin's like, ah, it's you. <laughs> it's you. And so we find out that Rock goes out and starts training. Oh, no, sorry. Sorry, I was, well, I will, way got ahead of myself. Um, they have a campfire dinner that night. They're back at the barracks. And Kaladin tries to humanize everybody, tries to help them remember that they had a life outside of this and that it doesn't all have to be death and destruction. And they make soup, rock cooks. And one by one, people slowly start coming out of the barracks to figure out what is happening. Oh, what is happening? <laughs> it's food. <laughs> Kaladin smiled, letting out a deep breath as Scar sat down. Others trailed out after him, taking bowls sitting. Some stared into the fire, not saying much, but others began to laugh and sing. At one point, Gaz walked past, eyeing them with his single eye, as if trying to decide if they were breaking any camp regulations. They weren't. Kaladin had checked. <laughs> so we are having uh, group meals. 
uh, where they, instead of just getting food from the, okay, it's not the cafeteria, the mess hall, instead of just getting their, part, not their partition of food, Emily, what's the word I need? Rations? Yes. Instead of getting their own ration of food, they can buy food with their with their money from the marketplace. And so this is how they're going to feed both the men who are no longer allowed to take rations and uh, anyone else who wants to join in. And so the real feeling of camaraderie has started. And I believe everybody comes out and joins them. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he yep. invites Gaz over, but Gaz is like, Ugh. Um, But it's, it's a start. And... Um, might be a, a little bit of a turning point and they're actually singing around the campfire and then what happens the next morning the next morning when Kaladin called for the bridgemen to rise three quarters of them piled out of the barrack everyone but the loudest complainers Moash Sigil Narm and a couple of others and uh, the ones that get up they join him in practice carrying the bridge and people are becoming a team now the avengers are assembling and that is the end of our reading for this week kaladin says he had a feeling that moesh and the others would give in before too long they'd eaten his stew nobody had turned that down and now that he had so many the others would feel foolish for not joining in Bridge four was his. Now he had to keep them alive long enough for that to mean something. Which is a lovely thought. So Emily, what were your, what were your thoughts of this chapter? I really liked it. I'm going to start off with that. I really okay. liked it. Okay. <laughs> I loved what Kaladin did and how he thinks outside the box and, you know, wants to get all these people together. But I will say... That this is actually part of a, if I was reading this on my own, I would have just started skimming through this chapter. And the reason is not because I didn't like the chapter, not because I didn't like what was going on, but because of Moash. Um, and this happens a lot for me in literature where you're following the main character, you love and trust the main character, and there's someone out there who doesn't. And I'm just like, listen, eventually you are. I just want to get to that part. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, if someone in the book doesn't care about my favorite character, I'm like, who needs those idiots? Let's get to the good stuff. Um, okay, remember how I told you the fandom had a nickname they'd have for Dalinar? It was mm -hmm. like Dadinar. Yeah. Uh there's a there's a phrase people use when discussing Moash, and I'm gonna have you bleep out the first half of it, okay, for the final, okay. But it's <laughs> Moash. <laughs> oh, except man. you know it wasn't the it wasn't the <laughs> the Utah version of the curse. I said it was the actual, <laughs> yeah, the actual. So one. do you know what? That is a that is a popular opinion you have. Yeah. Um and and so I kind of felt bad after a while because like I said if I'd been reading this I would have just started skipping ahead and probably would have missed out on some of the stuff but like this happens if anyone's familiar with the book series Harry Dresden um 
I had a really hard time with Karen Murphy at the beginning because she didn't trust Harry. She didn't have a reason to trust Harry. Okay. I'm not saying this is any of any fault of hers, but as a reader, you knew a lot more things than Karen Murphy did. And it took me a while until she was finally on Harry Dresden's side to be like, oh, okay, I like her as a character when she had no reason to trust Harry Dresden. I get that. So I didn't really have a big of an issue with Charity Carpenter because she loved and trusted Michael mm-hmm. Carpenter, her husband, who in turn trusted Harry. So I knew eventually Charity would at least tolerate Harry. Um, but yeah, I had a, I had a, this is one of my least favorite things is waiting for friendships to happen. Okay. So. All right. That's good to know. Uh, but hopefully if Moash does come around, it will feel all the sweeter to you for having this wait. Hopefully. I don't know. But heck, maybe it won't. Maybe he stays a butthead. <laughs> then I can comfortably hate him. <laughs> okay, good luck with that. All right, <laughs> anyway. Um, so that is the end of this week's reading. We are going to read 60 pages next week, but it's going to be a little different of an episode structure. Okay. Because... Next chapter is the last chapter in part two. A whole chapter, 60 pages? No, a whole chapter's 30 pages. And I'm going to include the interludes after that. Got it. Got it. Okay. uh, It is is a big chapter, though. It's it's half of our reading. Okay. Um, It is a Dalinar chapter. Yay! Because... Okay, remember how we didn't have any Shallan in part two? Yes. We're not going to have any Dalinar in part May, three. No! But Shallan's coming back! <laughs> Why does Brandon do this to us? It's to make you keep reading. It's to make you keep reading. Okay. But, uh, Emily, the interludes are next week. So, do you know who you get to see again? <gasps> is it Seth? It is Seth. Yes! <gasps> I miss okay, that man. So- Next week's reading is going to be chapter 28, Decision, and then interludes 4, 5, and 6, Risen, Axes the Collector, and Seth. Yes. Uh, And Seth's chapter is called A Work of Art. Yes. So that's what we're going to do next week. And um, I think you're really going to be interested at the new pieces of the world that we're going to see in the interludes. Because, like, last time we got to see the Pure Lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what other place? It was the Pure Lakes. It was Seth. And then who was the third interlude last time? Didn't oh my gosh. we see Shallan's family's house? That was it. That was it. It was non-ballot. <laughs> <laughs> non-ballot. Yeah. So, and then we will start part three, dying. What? That's what part three is called. What? Part, part, yeah. No. So, uh. Megan, no. Part one is Above Silence. Part two, which we're going to finish next week, is The Illuminating Storms. And part three is called Dying. Don't feel great about it. <laughs> so I am going to focus all my energy in hoping that it is talking about Sadius. And that Sadius does not have long <laughs> for this world. And it's it's going to be his fault. Uh-huh. That, uh-huh. That's what uh-huh. I'm putting out into the universe. 
that's uh okay hold on to that cherish it well <laughs> that uh that's gonna wrap up our episode for this week stay tuned for emily is finally so we're 11 10 episodes in uh and now Emily's finally going to have like the important after roll that she'll edit on to tell you where you can find us and review us and all that cool stuff. Uh, but until we get to that, my name is Megan and I have to get back to storyboarding. My name is Emily and I'm going to get back to writing my book. I believe in you. I believe in you. All right. Ready? Break. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We're so happy you're here. <laughs> ah! <laughs> no! <laughs> They're not real farts. They don't know that. Well, they do now. No, it's like. <laughs> Prom comedy works. <laughs> okay, serious time for real. I sent Megan to bed. She is pretty tired. She's been across about four different time zones and we're a little punch drunk. Anyways, thank you again for listening to The Way of Kings. My sister made me view it. We really appreciate you guys. Thank you for all the reviews and ratings you've been giving us. That helps us so much. And you guys are just awesome. I can't believe we have such great listeners. Um, tune in next Tuesday, November the 16th, for our next Haunting of Hill House episode. And then join us again on November the 18th, that's a Thursday, that's a week from today for our next Roswell episode. And then happy Thanksgiving to our US listeners. The episode will go up that day. We'll set it to, what's the word I'm even trying to think of? We'll schedule it. We'll schedule it so it comes out on Thanksgiving day. So whether you just need a break from your family and something to listen to, or if you guys all listen together, great. Just so you know, that's our Thanksgiving present to you. Happy freaking Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, for our intro and our outro. You can check us out on our Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SisMadeMeViewIt. We're really trying to be better about it. We're so sorry. It's, it's just crazy times, and that's a stupid excuse. But I'm going to start putting up fun pictures of our pets for real, and uh, that's what we're going to do. Anyways, you guys are great. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy your day. Do the things you love. And remember, we believe in you. <laughs>